Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 65 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by Mandolin Cafe, my favorite website. Also brought to you by Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas, which is where I just got back from. I want to thank uh, Billy and Paul and Kim, everyone at Ellis, everyone at Collings, everyone at St. Elmo Brewing, uh, Ben over at Fiddler's Green Music Shop and their new location. That's an amazing place, and he gave me some great shirts to give away. I want to thank everybody who came to the clinic. The clinic was a blast as well. Um, And I want to thank the sponsors who helped make this trip possible. Again, Mandolin Cafe, Ellis Collings, and Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin and intermediate bluegrass mandolin and uh, the bluegrass fingerboard method with Sharon Gilchrist. Bluegrass mandolin jam favorites and the advancing mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. Monroe style mandolin with Mike Compton. Melodic mandolin tunes with John Reichman. Chord melody mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish, Irish mandolin with Marla Fibish. Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. Mandolin Beer, all one word. I also want to thank Northfield Mandolins. Northfield, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performances, recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And I also want to thank Ear Trumpet Labs. Uh, Ear Trumpet Labs, they build, hand-build microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. Dot com today they have a sweet looking uh, special limited edition uh, black painted mic here for the holiday of Halloween check it out it is so cool well let's get into this episode with Tom we did this episode right in the shop there so you're going to hear a little bit of uh, some shop noises in the background but it really added to the entire atmosphere and vibe and was able to be around mandolins being built in all sorts of stages right there doing the interview. It was really, really an incredible experience. So I want to thank Tom, Kathy over there who helped set this up, as well as Christian and Pava and everybody. So let's get into it. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, mandolinsandbeer.com. And let's get into the interview with Tom Ellis. Cheers, everybody. All right, check one, two. We are live. So now it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Tom Ellis. How you doing, Tom? Doing great. Happy to be here. Man, I'm happy to be here. I am at your uh, at your your place of business, and this has been, I mean, I, I'm not even sure how long have we've been here now, but it's been joy from the minute I pulled up. Everybody here is so nice. Yeah, yeah the I've shop's amazing. Forth, yeah, been holding forth here for 44 years now. Yeah, it's a, it's incredible. Like the, uh, the the yard and everything, it's just it's amazing, man. It's a great see. place. Yeah, I got a, a great three-acre place here, and uh, lots of trees in the yard, and nice workshop here. Could could be a little bigger because I got twelve employees. <laughs> right, right. Um, but we got about four thousand square feet of uh, workspace, and um, it's yep. incredible in here. Um, just just walking around, you took me on like a the, the shop tour here, and uh, it's just like it's amazing. And um, and we'll get to some of the other stuff that you've that you do besides people obviously know you for your mandolins who listen to this, but your uh, your inlay stuff. Um, it's man, it's, it's, this is this has been a great afternoon so far. Oh, so great! Thanks for having me here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I moved here in '77 and I started right in building custom mandolins and banjos. Um, just uh, in my backyard by myself uh, and I did that uh, starting in 77 and then in 1980 Bill Collings moved up from Houston and joined me here in the shop and we worked here through the uh, 85 or 86 together uh, and then uh, towards the late 80s it was really really impossible to make a living as a custom builder so I started looking around for, for something else to do, and, and Bill did too, and he started Collings Guitar Company, and then I started Precision Pearl Inlay, where I would supply mother of pearl inlays to the guitar industry, uh, and uh, started with Collings Guitars, and um, 
have branched out and do probably a third or, or almost half of the custom. Yeah, it was, it's amazing to see the, uh, some of the, the, you know, some of the inlay work that you do. There's very, some very familiar shapes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and millions of them. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah. I've, I've counted it up. We've made over 14 million inlays since I Holy started. cow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, I have an employee, Melba, who's worked for me uh, for 26 years now who's counted just about every one of them oh my goodness <laughs> wow so now did you play did you play music as as a kid was that how you kind of got into the mandolin started playing music when i was 11 i believe yeah and this would have been in 64 and uh bought a fender mustang guitar and i had a buddy of mine a neighbor who uh had been taking guitar lessons since he was five and he had a Gibson Melody Maker, so we started a junior high rock and roll band in 1966. What was the name? Did you have a name? The Diamondbacks. <laughs> nice. Well, that's a cool name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, I remember when we decided to have our band, the very first thing we did was we got the bass drum and we started painting the name on the bass drum. <laughs> and then the next thing we did, because we had a couple of neighbor girls who lived couple houses down uh we're we're dying to be go-go dancers so there we started go. building a go-go dancer cage was the, <laughs> the second thing we did <laughs> never finished it oh. um but i do remember that we had uh two fender deluxe amps and we built these big huge speaker cabinets that were six feet high with a shelf in the top and we stuck the fender deluxe amp up in the shelf so it looked like when we went to a pool party gig or something it looked like we had these big amplifiers and <laughs> that's it, and amazing we were, we were running the, you know everything two guitars and two microphones everything out of two fender deluxe amps. oh we really <laughs> yeah yeah and then how did you how did you was it bluegrass was that what kind of no we were, we were just in the, in the mid-60s we were just playing like rock and rock roll, roll and, mm -hmm. what everyone else was trying to do and then i guess it was in 1970 or because I graduated from high school in 71 as was before I graduated I bought my first acoustic guitar and we were discovering acoustic music we didn't even know it existed um, had never had never heard of it and so we just started started discovering mm, well Chad Atkins Merle Travis oh, yeah wow. uh, Doc Watson that kind of stuff yeah the good stuff and it was, of course, just opened up a whole world. And then I guess it was 72, the Will the Circle Be Unbroken album came out, mm -hmm. which I utilized, as did everyone else, to go buy albums from all of these guest artists that right. had. Yeah. And, and went from there. So I, I, got, I got bit by Bluegrass in 71 and then built my first mandolin in summer of 72, which was a uh, halfway between a $90 harmony that I had bought had just bought and was still learning how to play and then a, a buddy of mine had a mandolin I'd never heard of or heard about before which was a Lion and Healy style A okay yeah with a scroll peg head and I completely fell in love with that mandolin so I and that's a, a twin point body so I, I built my first mandolin was a twin point um, Kind of a copy of the Lion Healy and the Harmony. Did you? Uh, how did you? Uh, like, had you worked with wood beforehand? Building models and surfboards. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, surfboards. Yeah. Um, people might not know this. I mean, you're, you're a big surfboard builder for a while there. Yeah, I built about thirty surfboards my uh, sophomore and junior year summers of my sophomore and junior year. So I've been sixty-nine and seventy. Wow. And uh, did. I got pretty good at it, uh, considered pursuing that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't know how that would have worked out. I sure. would have had to move to the West Coast, I'm sure. Right, right, yeah. But, uh, Small waves in, yeah. in, in Texas here. But in, in, the, <laughs> in, in that time frame, surfing was the craze everywhere. And mm -hmm. so the Gulf Coast was, was a big time 
Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So, did you take the other mandolins apart to figure out how a mandolin is? No. No, I was starting to get interested in building instruments mm -hmm. uh, at that time, and so I bought <coughs> what it what, as I recall, was the only the only book that that existed, at least the only one I knew of, which is called Classical Guitar Construction by Irving Sloan. And so it was only about how to build a classical guitar. And so I, I kind of figured, you know, well, little of this, little of that. I'll, uh, you know, it turned, it played, turned out okay. What? Do you still have it? No, it actually got stolen oh, from here, no way. burglarized in 1979 or 80. Oh, no. Yeah, funny story there. Um, I uh, walked into a pawn shop right down the road 15 years later, 15 or 20 years ago now, and there was my first mandolin sitting there in the case, $329. No way. <laughs> and I tried to get it back and called the sheriff and tried to find a burglar report and didn't have any luck guy behind the counter just spit out his tobacco and said so 329.95 no way really so i didn't buy it and actually a lady who worked at the post office well another story so the postmaster here my local postal branch um thought i was a real big shot because in eight nineteen eighty one or 82 I walked in there to mail one of my mandolins to Ricky Skaggs because Skaggs had a couple of them in the 80s. And the postmaster just thought that was the neatest thing in the world. And believe it or not, he's actually still the postmaster. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Um, and I don't go in there very often anymore, but he still recognizes me. Anyway, um, went in there one day and he said, uh, hey, some gal works here, you know, went down at pawn shop, bought that mandolin you made. And then, so she brought it here, and I I set it up, made a new bridge for it. And oh stuff like no that. way, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And then I was down there a few years later, and I asked him, "That gal still work here that had my mandolin?" He said, "No, no, she moved off to Kansas City or somewhere. Went down there and pawned that thing right before she left, though." I don't. Oh. Anyway. Man, I, I you know what though? I love the fact that you're like, guys, like three ninety five. You're like, I'm not paying. This stuff, I'm not paying three ninety five built in it was stolen from me i right. love that <laughs> yeah and i actually didn't want it anyway because it didn't have my name on it oh it sure just had right. an e in the big head and of course it wasn't up to my current standards <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> i figured just as well right uh anyway uh but you can hear that mandolin because i used it to record nancy griffith's first album there's a light beyond these woods that's amazing yeah. holy cow yeah Wow. And then number two, which the picture is on the website for people who I'll link to that, right? The picture of the mandolin number two, the second mandolin. It is gorgeous. Well, thanks. It is. I can't. The fact that it's number two and it blows my mind. So what did you learn between number one and number two? Uh, again, without seeing a picture of number one, it might have been just as gorgeous, but, you know, number two is the one that's suddenly got you kind of on your way to where we are today as well. Mm -hmm. Well, number one was, was pretty nice in a lot of respects, but nobody back then could build a mandolin, their first mandolin, and have it come out right. Sure. It's more... Possible today, certainly, because there's so much information out there. Right, right. But back then, there was no information. There's so no internet. You couldn't, no, <laughs> couldn't Google. There weren't even any books, so there was nothing. Uh -huh. and, and so you were really flying blind. Uh, there was no way to access information. The, the, the classified ads in the back of Pickin' Magazine or something was, was the only source to possible resources about any, any kinds of thing. Um, so it was several years... I finished uh, college, graduated in 76 with a degree in photography. And I planned on being a professional photographer as a, as a profession. And I worked as a professional photographer for Tinoco Oil Company for about a year. And I, uh, I didn't really ever want to be a photographer again after that. Sure. What kind of stuff were you 
taking photos of for for the oil company yeah just progress shots on oil rigs being built out mm. on the gulf and conferences oh and, and <laughs> right yeah it was and silk screening signs for the company summer picnic uh, you know just that kind of graphic arts general graphic art stuff and, and did a lot of pipeline routing map overlay stuff and that kind of thing but i was already interested in instrument building so i decided that uh, i'd go ahead and move to austin and hang my shingle and start building mandolins as a profession yeah. as a pretty stupid thing to do <laughs> <laughs> but you know when you're young and naive yeah sure you're talking to a guy who plays mandolin for a living yeah right? exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> so. so you built that number two which is the uh the f style so was mm -hmm. was there had you come across plans then at that point or had yeah you... i had gotten a couple of sets of the plans that were available and i can't even remember who had put out those different plans? Bill Porter, maybe uh, Tom. Can't remember his name. There was a couple of sets of Gibson F5 plans out there. Um, none of them were all that great, but yeah, you could kind of get an idea for what's what. And then uh, I remember when I was building my number two mandolin in '76, <clears throat> that Roger Simonoff was writing his mandolin book. <clears throat> and I was in contact with him, and it was supposed to have been published six months ago, and then it was going to be published in a couple of months, and it was, and it didn't end up finally coming out until after my mandolin was done, and I really was hoping it would come out before. <laughs> um, and uh, but my second one turned out okay. Um, I haven't myself seen it in a long time, but it's still up in the closet. And last time I pulled it out about five years ago, really sounded great. Oh, I bet. Um, but I took that one up to uh, a bluegrass festival in Oklahoma, September of 77, showed it to Ricky Skaggs. And uh, he was real nice. He said, man, that's great. Why don't you build me a couple? That is so wild, yeah. man. I mean, number two. Yeah. And as far as instruments go, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even be nearly as stunned if you'd, have, if you'd be an acoustic guitar builder. I mean, because, you know, at least that's big and seems like eh, people have a but mandolins man there's so much can make them sound bad mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know to have ricky skaggs look at number two yeah and be like why don't you make me a couple right that's right. amazing yeah i was very tickled i remember floating back to the campsite and i was camping with a bunch of guys and these were hot shot guys a couple of ex monroe bluegrass boys and wow. Big big shots around Texas. We have, we have, it's quite a who's who of who of who's been in bluegrass that came from Texas. And um, it, funny as you were men you were mentioning earlier, Danny Barnes do doing that with Grisman, and uh, I started playing with Danny when he was fifteen. Oh, did you really? Yeah, we played in a couple of bands together. Back no in kidding. The 80s and nineties, yeah. Wow, cool man. Yeah. So that's amazing since he was a kid wow <clears throat> even back then i thought he was on a different planet dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how long did it take you to build how many did you build for skags right off the bat so were those like the first ones well, it wasn't right off the bat so i what i told him was that since this is my second one i actually wanted to build a few to get my chops down mm -hmm. wow that's and impressive most people would be like whoo paycheck <laughs> yeah so it was actually two or three years before I built him the first one. And I don't remember, I think it was 81, February of 81, I can't remember. But I do remember that I was late and that if I had delivered it on time, he would have used it on the Skaggs and Rice album. Oh, wow. Which would have been nice. Yeah, holy cow. <laughs> um, as it was, he did use it to tour for the Skaggs and Rice album, mm -hmm. which is some of that you can see on YouTube now. Um and then he was already getting known country, already rising. Can't remember exactly. And so really he, it was largely through his country years was when he was using them or, or when he owned them. Used them on a lot of, a lot of different uh, records of other people. Uh, Peter Rowan's 
first Whippoorwill album. Oh, cool. Played it on that, which is one of my favorite albums. Yeah, it's a great album. Yeah, it says it all. <laughs> yeah. By the way, as we're talking, it's just amazing. Like, I'm watching these mandolins in different states being worked on. This is this is, yes. the, this is a surreal day for it me is. right now. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and nice to see that while I'm talking to you, I'm making money. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Such oh, as it is. Such as yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, that wow, that's incredible. So how many how many did you think you you built before you got those to Skags? Twenty, I believe. Oh, 20? Wow. Yeah. Now were you selling those as well mm-hmm. at the time? Cool. Yeah, they were all. Uh, I didn't get real backed up with orders at that time, but I I had orders, so every mm-hmm. every one I built was was ordered. And the one thing about that I noticed which kind of went against my grain was that at the time if somebody walked in the door with a handful of money and they wanted me to build a five string electric fretless bass okay oh <laughs> sure so and, and and I see this all the time currently is that artists they you know they want to they want to build what they want to build mm-hmm. And it's really difficult to get known for something if you build a guitar and then an acoustic bass and then a dulcimer and then a, a Irish harp and then a mandolin and then a banjo, you know. So I wanted to specialize in mandolins, but it was there was no such thing. There was no such thing. So it was I built 69 mandolins through the 80s or 69 instruments of which probably 40 or 45 of them were mandolins wow and uh, the rest banjos a couple of guitars a couple of dulcimers and and then i gave it up in the late 80s yeah and you were saying that it was just financially at that point well i had three kids and i had a wife who i mean she came up with this crazy thought of buying a new car and having the kids in private school and i'm thinking well no i'm a luthier (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that's an oxymoron i think yeah but but you didn't get out of the instrument building in a sense i mean you got out of building mandolins but then you went on to do this this inlay business right so what i did was i looked around and i decided that instead of selling to acoustic musicians who arguably are the poorest people <laughs> on the planet right i would instead sell to guitar makers who I then discovered, oh, they're actually the poorest people on the planet. <laughs> Not really. I was very focused on being a vendor to manufacturers because uh, my dad was consulting with me, trying to help me sure. <clears throat> figure out, you know, where where I fit in. And the nice thing about about doing that is that you have the same customers every month, every year, every decade, and they order the same thing, and you can plan, and you don't ever have to advertise or go looking for, who, for work. You don't, you don't have to wonder, well, who's going to hire me next month? Right. So That's amazing. Do you remember like the first, like, the first big order you got where you're like, whoa. This yeah. Is... yeah, it was from Taylor. Mm-hmm. Cool. What, what, did, uh, what did they order? Well, it was essentially starting up with their supply of every every model that they offered at the time so it was six or seven different models and it would be you know 2000 or 5000 inlays per month uh, <laughs> depending on what mo- what model it was and what uh, the number of pieces and that and then getting the business was real easy i, I went to the nam show and solicited them and i had a display panel with me with lots of inlaid parts on it on a nice board that i just carried around like a notebook and 
and they were very thankful and they were very appreciative that I had solicited them and they were well taken care of and were not in need of my services but it was nice to you know have my name in their back pocket in their Rolodex so um, it wasn't it wasn't three weeks later that they called and they weren't being well taken care of at all no kidding yeah sure wow um, I subsequently found out <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> so now were you doing them all by hand at that point no I was I had started originally with a pantograph machine which you'd have to make a template three times the size of the inlay and follow around it with a stylus while the cutter would cut it with a rotary tool in, in Mother of Pearl at a reduced size. Uh, uh, engraving shops used them for engraving uh, initials and stuff on rings. And it worked quite well compared to hand sawing them. I bet. I bet. Um, but even at that, you had to sit there and manually do every one. It was still, it, it tripled the production rate of hand sawing. But I only used that for about a year, found that it was more laborious to make all the plywood patterns, and then I would actually make a six times the size plywood pattern that would be eight or ten inches long, um, all nicely sanded, and then I would make a, a template from that and then use the template to make the inlays, but the templates wear out as you ride the stylus around in them a thousand times, so you'd have to make a new template. So I had a master but it was really time consuming to make those things it's really time consuming to draw it in CAD and program the toolpath too but that's how we do it now um, so I, I uh, went to my dad and kind of laid it all out and he wanted a business plan and so uh, he spotted me some money to buy my first CNC machine paid it off in four months did you really? wow yep Holy cow, that's amazing. And then he went over my books, you know, with me the after the second year, I guess, and said, you know, I think I think you got something here. I think everything looks good except you just need more business. And I felt like I was, but it was just <laughs> three of us. or two and a half mm -hmm. people at the time. Um, Melba, who worked for me, and just she did all the pearl inlays and I made all the wood parts in the back and I ran I ran the office and consequently the office didn't get run very well <laughs> sure <laughs> um, so I hired a business manager and she was very helpful um, and then she didn't last but uh, and then Kathy came on and Kathy's been business manager here for 16 years now knows 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 her way around here better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing to have. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I would I would be lost without all my all my great employees. Um so it uh it, it's uh taken off and then uh so it started that in 93, 94, we got going and did it I guess for 10 years, so 2004 it was it was going pretty good, and then uh, I'm not sure what, uh, but I was kind of, well, I guess what it was is that I, I now knew a way to make mandolins that was different than the way I used to make them. Through te like, like the technologies and things that you had seen right, through. That, mm -hmm. I, that I had utilized here for all this other stuff, and this, well, there's no reason why you can't do this too. Um, no, I wasn't really directly involved in Collings setting up mandolin production out there, but you know, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I was in the loop. Right, right. Um, and so I was talking with a the fellow that that initially did that, set up all the computer systems and all the CNC machines in Collings, and developed their first A model. By the time they came out with their F5, he was already gone. But but he worked there for, tw uh, well, six years maybe. I'm not sure. And then uh, he was working for a different place, and then I started uh, contracting with him to just help me with the CAD CAM programming. I was fine with two-dimensional stuff, but not three-dimensional. And I wasn't really sure exactly how one goes about and programs the ridge on the scroll of a man, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And so I started doing it just a, a real, uh, kind of a real basic way, you know, just taking a measurement every, you know, every tenth of an inch and making thousands of, you know, height maps and then wow. creating them. And he thought that that was a really strange way to do it. But then he said, you know, after a few months, he said, you know, I never would have been able to do this if you hadn't started that way. No kidding. So it was actually pretty valuable what I did, although looking back, what I did initially on that stuff wasn't, wasn't one one millionth of, of all the effort that actually has gone into it since then. Uh, seemed like a lot at the time. Sure. <laughs> and good, good thing I didn't know what would be involved, really. <laughs> right. Um, but this guy, Nate Arison, uh, worked here for 12 years, and he set all the jigs up, made all these jigs that we were looking at, and he and I designed them together, but it was, uh, you know, coming up with a kind of a little manufacturing process that no one has ever used before. And we're the only ones who do it like this at all. Um, and I don't believe that anyone else does it even close to this. Although, hard to know. I'm friends with all these guys, and we, we chat on the phone all the time, but I'm sure they lie to me as often as I lie to them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see, like, again, like, walking around here. I mean, as much as I know about a mandolin, like, I couldn't, I, I'd be just as easy for me to build an iPhone, probably, as it would be a mandolin. I mean, it's just, <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's like, it, and just to walk around and see how much goes into it, you know, yeah. it is, it is wild. So, uh, what year did you start back up? doing the mandolins then so in 2004 2004 yeah and it was just like i've i know i can do this now looking at these machines and i loved building right. mandolins right and, and it was all due to pava because she had she was working here for a year or so a couple of years yes pava is, is right yeah, over here i'm sorry <laughs> la laboring on a beautiful looking pava mandolin as well how you do you want to say hi there pava and she's over here with a mask on <laughs> i've got a <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi hello She's like, ah, it's just like. I started for work for Tom 2003, and uh, we started build mandolins, kind yeah. of processing in the 2004. First come out is 2005. Yeah. And uh, 17 years, I'm still here. That's amazing. <laughs> and together we've now built almost a thousand mandolins. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 520 Ellis's and four, four something, four something Pavas now. Wow. That is, man, that is amazing. Yeah. When, so 2004, did it, did it kind of take off right away for you in 2004? Well, or? I guess we debuted at IBMA in 2004, five. Um, yeah, because it took us pretty much the whole year to get the jigs built and actually get the first prototypes built. And we took them to IBMA, and it was, uh, we were real noticed. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. how many, did, did you take a, a big number of them there, or did you just take four? A, four, mm -hmm. wow. Which was, it was all we could do to get four of them. And we had a really, really fancy lighted quarter song, curly oak and black velvet lighted booth that we still have. It's really classy. So we... we uh, we showed up. It was, I will tell you a funny story. Um, you you mentioned Dominic. So that first year in 2004, this little kid came by. <laughs> he was about nine years old. And he sat down, maybe tried out a couple of mandolins, didn't really have much to say, and just got up and left after about 10 minutes. And I you know, smiled at him and thanked him, and, and he said, I'm going to come back later. And it was Solly Burton. I don't know if you know Solly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Great player. <laughs> so about two hours later, here comes Solly with Dominic and uh, you know the other guy, but I can't remember his name. Jake? Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jake Jolliffe. Jake Jolliffe, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and those three guys sat down in my booth, and they didn't leave for three days. <laughs> they stayed there every day, wow. all day. 
And they were so funny, all of them. I bet. Just, they were nine, ten years old and stunning players already, every one of them. How cool. Yeah. That helps, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, of course, and, uh, and I've, I've gotten to know them pretty good, you know, Dominic particularly, because he married the daughter of my kid's Montessori school teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Phoebe? Yeah. She so I've known so nice. Phoebe since she was six. Oh, wow. In fact, the first gig that Phoebe ever played was with my bluegrass band at that barbecue place I was telling you about. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, probably when she was about 10 or 11. Wow. Yeah. So did, did they sell then, those four? They did. They, they yeah. all sold at the at the, uh, at the festival. And then uh, we went we moved back to IBMA. Every, we've been there every year since. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first few years, we would sell man. We'd have mandolins. like to have one, at least, for sale. Sure. And almost always we would sell it. But then... More recent years, I mean, I noticed that the first few years, you know, three, four hundred people would come by over the week and play our mandolins. Mm-hmm. And and then I wouldn't, you know, 10, 15 years later, I go there. And, you know, these people, they still come by, but they're all owners. And so fewer, fewer people coming by the booth every year who were unfamiliar. Sure. Um, oh. Well, these look nice. Yeah, so I'm trying, you know. No, they, you know, I got to be fairly well known. and Yeah. And uh, still lots of people come by the booth, but none of them were going to be in the market for a mandolin because they already had one. <laughs> so. Well, they still seem to be selling pretty good because anytime I see a picture go up on the, uh, 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 Scott at the, at the Mandolin Cafe is great with posting pictures when, yeah, oh, yeah. New, when new ones go up and I'll click on it and sure enough, the soon I've, like, it's already sold. <laughs> it's, it's either says sold or it's already been removed from like the website. Right, right. So we we uh, have been doing pretty good. The inevitably we ha- sales have to match production, or production has to match sales one way or the other. And I don't like to get behind, and I don't really want to have no orders. So we sell through dealers, and so the dealers have standing orders. But a standing order this year, yeah, you know, what does that really mean? They don't know. I mean, they can't know That's any more than we That's an interesting question because, again, like, um, you know, there's other brands out there that are less expensive. Yeah. I, and when I say other brands, too, I mean, like, the more mass-produced yeah. sort of thing. And, 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 you know, those maybe will do all right because they're at a price point mm-hmm. that is, you know— like if somebody wants to pick up a mandolin, the odds of them picking up an Ellis as their first instrument, right? You know, very small. Right, right. So, Although it has happened. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I bet. In fact, just recently, I had just just had an order from a guy. Never played the mandolin in his life. Is picking it up for the first time, you know, because he's stuck at home. And you know, he's he's uh, you know of a mature age. I don't know how old he is, but he said he's been playing guitar and collecting guitars for 40 years. One of those. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, of which there are many. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. And he's already he's already played that game with guitars. Mm-hmm. And he knows, he's learned his lesson, and he knows that, well, I mean, he's he's affluent enough to be able to afford it without it being a major thing. And, and he knows that, well, but if I just buy get one of these, then... I won't have to work up to it. So yeah, it happens. Surprisingly, I, I never thought it would. Well, yeah, yeah. You see, like you said, you said guitar collector though. It's like yeah, they've been absolutely. around. Absolutely, yeah. They yeah. know the, it's a, the scene is the same. It's you know. So has it production wise this year? Has have you noticed any difference in production yet with from the pandemic? It's been stuff? really, it's been really strange, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's really been difficult. Um, there is some validity to the that. Well, like say, for example, I would think that electric guitar sales would not be doing so great because I always thought electric guitars were to be used in public. Right. That's my idea. And that what with the situation now, well, maybe they would just, they may stay home and, and work on guitar, but, but do they really need to buy a new one just to sit home and practice? Acoustic instruments is a whole different world. It's a whole different world. Um, you know, I, I assure you that 
playing with your buddies on Wednesday nights, all, that's what it's all about. And I hadn't stopped. I mean, it, people may not be advertising it on social media, but <laughs> sure. I assure you, my friends, or the ones that whose wives will allow them, <laughs> they're getting together and playing every week. Uh, they've had several festivals here and well attended. And great looking jam sessions, you know, on Facebook at these festivals with all my friends. And I wish I was there picking with them. What year was it for you where where you realized like I've got a lot of sales, like my my name is renowned in the mandolin community? Um, gosh, I'm I'm not sure. It's hard to say. I I, I guess I I kind of peek in on all that stuff, but I don't. What with all what with all I got going on, yeah, I, I tend to 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 just let all that. Pretty healthy thing to it's a healthy way to do it. I do I do have to ask though because you do seem like it seems like you may be a perfectionist, you know, and and it, it, this happens in all sorts of things, you know, on podcasting songs. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's it like when you build an instrument for someone and then you see it? for sale like a year later is there like a is there that thing of like what why didn't this person why is this guy selling this instrument no no if i tried to figure out i've had people couple one at least i had a guy put one of my mandolins up on the mandolin cafe classifieds for sale and he was within the return period huh i mean it was like was it, did he do it for more than what he bought it for? No. Huh. He just decided it wasn't for him, and he just put it up for sale. And it sold. And I'm thinking, you could have sent it back. I'd have given you your money back. Wow. Uh, he, and he didn't even call me. It's like, oh, got, you know, did you get the mantle? It's like, yeah. Yeah, well, it wasn't really what I was looking for, so I sold it. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just can't lose any sleep over that. Yeah, that's smart, man. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah. Was there ever an instance where you saw them, where you sold them, and then suddenly they were on the cafe or another website? I, I say the cafe because it's like, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to look for used mandolin, that's the first place you're looking. Um, it's reputable. But did you ever see anything that you you made and then suddenly saw it for considerably more than what you uh, what you sold it for right off the bat? No. No. That, the time of that, there was some of that back a decade ago or two but not like that i've actually sometimes i'm surprised that they're they are as inexpensive as they are uh i rarely i don't believe i've ever seen one for resale for more than it's worth but i've seen a few come up for less i think less um if if people knew not necessarily how rare they are but how you know i may stop tomorrow <laughs> right 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 yeah <laughs> who knows and i mean and now you have two beautiful instruments in front of me mm-hmm. uh, and one of my questions for you was like is there is there times when you get one and you string it up and you're just like oh oh this is this is the magic one right here this one and a sudden it, you know that you're just like i don't want to sell this well there are in fact in fact i had one of those a few weeks ago wow um, but it's it's never for tonal reasons. Um, it was uh, no, it just well, it's a twin. It was a twin point, and I don't have a twin point. Oh, no kidding! And I actually ordered one. I was going to make number five hundred a twin point custom for myself, oh, and nice. then I decided I didn't need another mandolin. <laughs> And the reason I wanted to do it is because I wanted to build a twin point overhaul. Oh, cool. Of which he is going back behind him in there. Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't really think that anybody would order a twin point overhaul. So uh-huh. I said, well, I'll order one because I really want to build it. I think that, you know. Um, but then, like I say, I, I don't even play these two often enough. And I have a couple of other mandolins, too. So uh, I, ne- I need to not just get overloaded with them for no reason at sure. all. Sure. Sure. So when you built those two, did you build those knowing that those were going to be yours right yes, there? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. They are gorgeous. And uh, again, there's nothing special about either one of them other than the custom inlay. 
uh, on each of them. One of them has a hooping crane, and one of them has a hummingbird. There, there, and I, I got some pictures. And if you go to my Instagram, uh, they will be on there, and I'll post yep. them on where this podcast goes too. But I mean, she's Louise, <laughs> stunning. What I, really, I really like these mandolins a whole lot, and I was contemplating earlier this year about selling the one I like the best. No kidding. Yeah. How come? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think because I my my days of playing out are over, mm-hmm. and the one I like the best is the is the one that's best for playing out. Uh, and the uh, other one is just so sweet and rich sounding and just such a joy to listen to when you play it sounds fabulous they both do but but it's not as it's not as gritty and punchy as the other one and so i wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily consider it a taking out and doing battle mandolin. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, and that's kind of a different thing, like with the mandolins nowadays, because it was always the bluegrass market is, was the market. Mm-hmm. But if I did a poll, I think, I think it would represent less than 30% of my market. And the vast majority of people are playing just living room music. Folk music, Americana, swing, country, whatever, and just Wednesday night music. And they they don't go out and do battle with banjos and fiddles. They they sit at home in the living room with one or two people. Right. They don't need a banjo killer. No, they don't need a banjo killer. They don't even really want a banjo killer because, um, yeah, you get a much more musical, rich more sustained it's really very pleasant for sitting around and playing around the house so so we build a lot uh, you know i kind of have sort of two two different models that kind of lean or or particularly with custom mandolins i'll talk to the customer and kind of get an idea of what you know what is he intending to use it for or she yeah yeah cj uh, cj uh, mm-hmm. He's got a, a beauty. <laughs> That's a great sounding mandolin, and there, and that right there, there's a there's a bluegrass guy. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's one of the one of the ones that he, he's he's definitely uh, got that tone. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. What's the best mandolin that you've heard and played that wasn't one of yours? Uh, at the. Uh 2004 IBMA, the last year they had it in Louisville. I went up there to scout the market because all the mandolin makers were there mm-hmm. exhibiting. And so I got to meet all the mandolin makers whom I didn't know. I, I knew Mike Kimnitzer and Steve Gilchrist, Len Dudenbostel, and Don McCrosty. Those guys, I've known them for decades. But there was a whole bunch of others that I knew of them, but I didn't know them. Mm-hmm. So I went around and played everything. Um, believe it or not, there was a blonde bird's eye Collings that I just went nuts over. No kidding. And the funniest thing about it is somebody, can't remember who it was, Danny Bishop maybe, or somebody was just telling me just a few months ago, talking about something. And then or it was a conversation with several people. I can't remember, but he turned to me and said, Tom, don't you remember? That was the mandolin you fell in love with at IBMA in Louisville. And I was, yeah. <laughs> wow. A style or F style? It was an F. Oh, was it? Nice. Blonde. Bird's eye. And back, you know, when blonde mandolins have such a horrible <laughs> reputation, you can't even give them away. Um, it was it was stunning. Um I can't think of another. Actually, a buddy of mine has a Nugget A model that's really great. It's past its prime. Um, it got road hard and put up wet, literally. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to stand next to it on stage for about 20 years. So. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Cool. And uh, that's a great mandolin. It's been in here numerous times for all sorts of 
problem solving. But that, that, that's a great one. And uh, I'm trying to think. Um, a buddy of mine has a Monteleon F5. There's not very many of those. Number 17, I believe it. Um, that I also stood next to on stage for 20 years. So, uh, and that's a really great mandolin too. Do you um do you collect any mandolins at all, or do you? Oh yeah. Do you? What's your favorite to play? Again, uh, taking yours out of taking yours out of consideration. Um. Well, I have a 1925 Gibson F5. I was just going to ask, but that, I didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, I really enjoy playing. It's not a great one, mm. but but I really like it, and I've taken it out to jams a number of times, and. Boy, it does really good in jams. I bet. Um, not as I was just talking. It's 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 not really my favorite tone for sitting around playing by yourself. Um, but it really it really does the, does the trick in a big jam. Yeah, it comes through really nice. What do you think it was that he came across that seems to have you know, I mean. To make, I'm not make, really sure, but I, I got to say the the Snakehead A models from his era is something something else too. I had one of those in 1923 A2, really nice mandolin, pristine. Um, unfortunately, I sold it, but I played a num, numerous teens A models. And this snakehead was just a different animal. Um, all the mandolin anybody could ever dream of. Again, not the bluegrass tone, but um, just, I don't see I could get any better. It was, it was great. I had a great 1915 F4 also for years. Sold that one too. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my 25 F5 is the only... I may have a Lion and Healy style B. Oh, no kidding. I used to. Wow. I think I still do. Um, I should go look. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, somehow I think I sold it. I can't remember, to tell you the truth. And, uh, and I have a closet full of turn-of-the-century open-back banjos. Oh, wow, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, neat. Yep. Three White Lady Sevens and numerous other ones. That's so cool. So great. That, I mean, just, uh, just you could just feel the love of music and the instruments uh, just being around you and, and just being here and the people who work here. And it's just these and, you know, they're, they're, they're more than a product. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. You know, and, and to be here now and even and talking to you and meeting you and meeting all the people who work here. Yeah. It just ma- it makes even more sense, you know. Yeah. Gotten to play multiple of them now as I've been able to, you know, meet people. And they're just, they're beauties, man. Thanks. So do you still, when you're, when you're building them, I mean, you're obviously continually tweaking. Like, what are the things now at this point that you, is there anything that you haven't done with, with these mandolins that you're still like, oh, I think I can still get this out of it? Or have you pretty well, much? Well, not so much, actually. Um, looking at it more pragmatically, I do feel a lot of times that it's it's all I can do just to build them. Whereas I might have thoughts and ideas, but when it really comes down to it, I already like them. Yeah. <laughs> and if I was to improve them, it wouldn't it wouldn't show up in the manual. It would be something in the system. And so that's kind of where my where my ideas go. Now sometimes I do um, <clears throat> like I mentioned earlier that I'm working with someone on something so crazy. And so <laughs> Mr. H has different thickness graduations mm-hmm. than many other mandolins because right. it's been kind of uh, yes. road hard too for over sure the years, and so I am kind of intrigued because it's not really arched and graduated like mine. Mm-hmm. So I'm really kind of 
it will be it will be fun to to try and replicate that when you say replicate too are you um uh like do you do distressed stuff i'm trying Mm-mm. no cool nah. cool yeah no i i think the distressed thing is <laughs> yeah weird i don't i don't yeah. i don't i don't get it no because i would have to charge a whole lot for that <laughs> and i've got a really i got the perfect solution if you want it distressed mm-hmm. i've got a buddy i'll just loan it to him for six months <laughs> perfect You'll get it. It'll be authentically done, too. There you go. Actually, you know, there's probably some people out there who might pick you up on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, yeah. how can I get this broken in? Oh. I've got a buddy. <laughs> Tom's got a friend here. I mean, he goes through he goes through a mandolin every two or three years. Wow. It's, uh, ooh. I've never seen anybody so hard on, he's hard on everything. I took a shower in my house 20 years ago and broke the shower. <laughs> Um, we we should talk about the Pava model real quick here too, yeah. as we're looking at it. What um what for people listening? What was the uh, the story behind the Pava model? Um, you know, going from the Ellis to the you know, like right. The so when we were talking earlier, so Pava started working here before we started building mandolins, and it was really her idea. I mean, it, I would not have. I was already thinking about it, but I don't think I don't think it would have gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's been in right in the thick of it right from the start. And so when the uh, recession hit in 2008, we, we, my trajectory was upward. So we, we kind of sort of plowed uphill against that. It was tough, but we kind of pushed through it. Sure. And I'm thinking 2011, 2012, it was was just me and Pava. And Christian wasn't working here yet. Christian is right here behind me, by the way. (laughs) And Mary was working here, but not really so much on the mandolin parts yet. Mm -hmm. She was just starting, but, and Nate was still here doing the machining and jig making and stuff. And so Pava and I together, the goal was to make 50 mandolins a year with the, with the two of us. And we never quite did that, but more or less. Less, but close. That's a lot of mandolins. Yeah, one a, <laughs> one a week sort of was what we were trying to do. And now we try to build 100 mandolins a year. And not quite, 75 so far. We had our March and April uh that's the charter starts. You can see on oh, March wow. we didn't March and April we didn't start hardly anything. Cool, we man! Close. I didn't realize I was sitting right next to this. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're not gonna quite get it this year. Uh, this but is it's an been, ast- this is an asterisk year. Asterisk <laughs> year. Yeah, I think you got got yeah. reasons. Yeah, but. Um, in 2011, I believe it was, we, it was as 16 mandolins that year, mm-hmm. which well, isn't enough. No, sure. We, we, we couldn't make a go of it at that. And I think that was our lowest sales number for the year. 44, 48, the previous several years. And, and then, so, and you, you saw other mandolin makers doing it, coming out with kind of stripped down bare bones mandolins the Gilchrist did all those A juniors and, and Nugget was building them and I didn't want to I just high end F5s is my thing I just didn't want to so we kind of kicked around what you know coming out you know starting a, a second line of mandolins and calling them Waterloo or Austin or you know some <laughs> Kentucky, or you know, some, right. what name should we come up with? Miguel. Yeah. What was that one? Miguel. Oh. Miguel. Yeah, if you're familiar with the. Uh, um, yeah, the mo- the commercial. What was it? Um, uh, what was the website? Zoom. Legal Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, they came here a couple years ago and and shot. Yeah, we were talking a commercial about, about you know a, a mandolin builder uh, whose name was Miguel. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, little little does everybody know. Uh, 
that was actually here, and and those were Ellis mandolins, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Miguel is is Miguel is actually Tom Ellis in disguise. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. if you've seen that LegalZoom commercial, which apparently has been playing again uh, this year, uh, Miguel's Mandolins was this shop. Yeah. Yeah, so that's smart, though, man. You know, like a stripped-down version, change yeah. the name, but still have the right. the same people behind it. And yeah. the, so I had originally, not necessarily, I didn't go out of my way, but but the idea that it was just me hand building them as a solo builder myself whittling them out with a pocket knife <laughs> you know that's okay um and so pavo was unknown and i didn't really i wasn't looking to advertise you know i didn't really consciously you know, try to make it seem like one thing. Right. But of course we don't market any of the technology that we use. Sure. Or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> but I sort of thought it was, you know, time to introduce her being as how I think she's the best mandolin maker in the world and nobody knew her. Right. Um, and it's, great for me that my name goes on all of them <laughs> right right and people think i do all the work <laughs> which i do a lot but not sure. all right right and uh so we kicked around some other ideas and thought that i mean some of it i figured out in advance but some of it i probably didn't even have a clue about i wasn't so tuned into the story part of it mm -hmm. and it's it's an interesting story and you know kind of a sort of unique it's not not many people would try to do something like this this way and so long story short we decided to come out with a line of pava mandolins under her, her name introduce her to the world i was curious um my mandolins are great because they're ellis mandolins just ask anybody <laughs> right. but It's an intriguing thought. Would Pava mandolins be great? Be, just ask anybody. Pava who? You know, and, and so how would that... It's just, I don't know. It's kind of... And then it's real neat to make something from nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So what? what all this is, is it was nothing until made it and that's kind of neat and they sound amazing as well everyone i've ever picked up man well they do because they're the same you know? yeah right you say that though but that's definitely not the case no it's not and pavas are not the same as ellis's pavas are not as good as ellis's just ask anybody <laughs> right. anybody right right <laughs> um, well is, is it so nate nate Lees is a pava right yeah, yeah. what a mandolin I mean, it helps you're Nate Lee playing it as well. But and it helps that that's a Nate beauty. Lee got his first job ever as a mandolinist when I've known Nate since he was a kid. Right. And he's always been a fiddler. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Lucky for us that he gets in a band with a fiddler. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, otherwise he'd be the fiddler. Sure. Kind of neat. I, I figure someday he's going to leave her, and then he'll be a fiddler in his next, you know, and it won't be. But right now, he's great. I mean, yeah. we don't do endorsements. I, I never have. Skaggs came to me. Steve Smith came to me. Um, well, let me cross this next question off. I have that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but I just don't do that. I, I saw that how in really odd, strange ways it can work, but then for the most part, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, in the guitar world, dude, you, there's guys out there that are notorious for just, they, they just endorse everybody. Sure. And, you know, the yeah. next year it's somebody else yeah. and they're selling the stuff they got yeah. for, yeah. Yeah, and it's it means weird. nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. And you think, oh, you know, I just sold a mandolin cheap. I don't give them away anyway. But I, so I, you know, gave a good deal to somebody and it's like, well, that wasn't really worth it. But then every once in a while you get someone that, like Nate Lee. And I tell you, I guarantee you, Nate Lee is not 
pushing Pava mandolins because we told him to. Yeah, I interviewed him. Yeah, yeah he loves that mandolin. Yeah, and you could, I mean, yeah. when he when I got a copy of the the album before I interviewed him, I was like, whoa. Ask what he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so wow, that's amazing, man. Yeah. Well, this is this has been this has been an incredible day. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I thank it. you so much for letting me come here, and uh, this is, I mean. Holy cow. This, is, this has been amazing, man. Um, oh, great. And uh, I do have one final question, though. Yeah. And is, do you have a favorite beer? Doppelspatten. Oh, wow. No kidding. Nice. That's a good beer. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had one. Well, let's end it with that. Tom, right. thank you so much. Pava, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Christian, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming here. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Al. Great.